Hello everyone, I'm Mark, the chief writer here at Maltopia, and I just wanted to remind you the sleep-wake cycle is but one of a series of interconnected horror podcasts within the wide and weird world of Maltopia. For Easter eggs, crossover events, and additional lore, please check out our other series, The Shepherd of Wolves, Red Mother, Grimland, and The Damnation Machine. And be sure to check out our free content on our Patreon page for additional lore and stories. For even more Maltopia content, consider becoming a patron. Starting for as little as $2 a month, benefits range from additional art, update videos, early episode access, our mini-podcast series, October's Children, both written and full audio pieces, such as The Lost Library, Tales of Maltopia, and The Weird Book. You can also gain access to our found footage show, The Weird Tape Series, and even our Patreon-exclusive, fully-produced audio series, Devil's Clay. So, with all that said, I will leave you to the darkness. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Rusty Quill Presents
I waited until Romy was down for the night. This wasn't something I wanted to share with anyone, not even her. Luckily, one of the uh, art huts in the colony was dedicated to the creation of somewhat useful wares. Shit they could sell to keep them in art materials and drugs, apparently. While hemp wasn't really my style, the cream-colored suit I'd purchased let me shed the gray one I had on. It was pretty messed up, torn and burned in spots, a few bloodstains here and there, but it wasn't completely out of commission. After I found an out-of-the-way place in the woods, being careful to note the path I'd taken, I set down the cheap wooden box I'd bought along with my um, new duds and started digging out a hole in the ground. The box held my gray suit and the watch I'd purchased from the shop in Blackledge, its battery removed and set beside it. This was my new ritual for failure. My dream, my release from the aching solidity of a clockwork world, ruined. I suppose it would seem ironic to anyone else that what I took for a failed dream came at the hands of a living, burning nightmare. But that's not how I broke it all down. The Scream Eater struck me as a um, personification of the basest facts about us. Our cold hunger for power and pleasure, and how the pursuit sowed nothing but pain. I made the mistake of treating her like an exo, a delusion taken on life, passion without precision, their greatest weapon as well as their most potent weakness. But she wasn't anything like them. The crematorian was no transformative madness. She was a machine, polished and perfected. Her menace was a calibrated evolution, a graceful and proven lethality set to the sound of shrieks and fire. She took me down like it was nothing but a punk with a pop gun. But she made one mistake. I got away. I wouldn't underestimate her the next time, when I came back for the box, heard the ticking of the watch, slipped back into my torn gray dream. Until then, I leave my broken dream here, hidden beneath the earth, waiting for me. On my way back, I saw several of the, um, clover junkies hanging lanterns from some low-hanging branches at the edge of the meadow. Another bunch were busy setting up easels in the shifting orange light, preparing to put revelation to canvas. From somewhere in the distant woods came the gentle music of flutes, a wilted flower of dying sound in the dead of night. Granted, at that point, I had had more than my fill of both lanterns and canvases. But still, this was my kind of scene. Sitting down on a tuft of grass, I took in the sights and sounds. The lanterns must have been laced with something. The clover Romy mentioned more than likely, because I could smell something strange in the air. Like Egyptian musk, only deeper. Coarser, 
I was also fairly sure that, had I not been immune to hallucinogens and whatnot, I'd have seen a lot more than just the candlelit field. But even the zero-calorie view was pretty potent. Like most of my opportunities for serenity, my tics tried to crash the party, urging me to whistle discordant notes into the gentle serenade. It took a lot to resist them, my meds long gone. But that's what living with tics is like. Interruption. Every moment has its own symmetry, theme, and my Tourette's wanted only to disrupt them, mindlessly flinging sound and movement at the world's balance, its symmetry. Every silence broken, every tranquility interrupted. My precision and concentration were borne upon the back of a constant urge to injure the spirit of the moment. And if it wasn't my tics pissing on the party, it was my obsessions and the rituals designed to satisfy them. Always the whisper of imminent disaster should I fail to do their bidding, something inane and repetitive. Once in their grip, the difference between stepping over a crack or touching a doorknob or even saying a prayer to gods I don't believe in in order to save myself or someone else is fairly immaterial. And like ticks, they seek the corruption of the given context. Driving a winding road at midnight? Bury the needle, or you'll never see your sister again. Hiding in the shadow of an apple tree while waiting for an XO to turn his back? Reach up and pluck an apple, or else your gun of infinite ammo will run dry the instant you pull the trigger. No, I am what I am, despite myself. Apparently, cloverheads don't understand the idea of privacy, as some scurfy-looking guy wrapped in a dirty afghan copped a squat right next to me. I did my best to ignore him, but he tried to pass me a pinch of twisted plants. Clover. Not wanting to seem uptight, I accepted them, popping them into my mouth. Naturally, they didn't do more than taste like mower clippings. I hoped that once I joined the club, he'd buzz off, but no such luck. We're always looking for more artists. True artists. What's your craft? I gestured to my briefcase and smirked. I'm a salesman. I'm afraid I'd be no help to you. Perhaps you're in the wrong profession. <laughs> Not likely. Be careful what you get good at, they say. We aren't what we should be. None of us. That's why we looked at a great darkness. There's truth there. For all. I dare say no one was a salesman when the lights went off. So, uh, where did you rebirth? The guy was going full-on darkster on me busting out the lingo, asking about where I was when I came out of the darkness. Little did he know I never conked out in the first place. I'm afraid even that was fairly blasé. <laughs> I woke up in a porta potty in Wrigley Field. The guy was bugging me, so I felt justified throwing a few curveballs. No pun intended. I think you're lying to me. Look, I'm just trying to enjoy the ambiance, okay? 
But if you guys don't want the uninitiated rubbernecking, hey, that's fine. I'll go back to my room. If you're cool with me just sitting here, I'd like to be left to my lonesome. Capiche? The nut job just looked at me, examining me, it seemed. Do you know that the clover lets us see into other people's darkness? And do you know why? Uh, great. I don't know why. Because the dream belonged to all of us, and we belong to it. It was a vision in the making, since the first moment a human head could hold a dream, an alternative to the world we'd been trapped in. And like any dream, it vanished when we woke up. The clover lets us recall any portion of the dream, even the part you think is yours, and yours alone. Even now, I can see you walk in empty halls, chasing the echoes of the last and worried world, only to find empty rooms and vanished voices. The nut finally had my full attention. And he was right. My time in the darkness was spent chasing shadows. Sometimes I wonder if I still am. How is it you can skirt the effects of remembering? The madness, I mean. The clover allows us to control how much of the dream we recall. So, you're saying that the madness comes from... A single mind trying to hold the dream that only billions of minds could hope to heft. Invariably, anyone who tries breaks beneath the weight of it, their hair running white from unlimited, unchecked revelation. I had no idea if what the guy was saying had any validity to it, but it did make a kind of sense. He sure seemed to have eyes on some semblance of my own experience, though I never lost my memory, never experienced any separation from the world, never fell asleep. Assuming you're right, what would happen to someone who couldn't sleep, couldn't dream? You still don't understand, do you? All of us partook of it, and it partook of all of us. The dream became the world, and we became the dream. One of the more interesting aspects of a dream is that it could capture memories and replay them, but always with a little something extra added, for better or worse. Subjectivity. In this case, it was my own view of things that warped remembrance, the bygone shadows of the Magic Lantern Club curving towards my mind's eye. My personal contribution to the recollection included erasing images that were too incoherent to identify and reducing the noise and adding detail to the memories I could somewhat clearly recall. All this while I stood inside my sleep, holding up the dead shadows, examining them. Over top the developing scene, I superimposed the last words of the murdered shadowcaster Fajin. It is the new and everlasting darkness. And they bring it with them. Within a separate stratum of my dream, I extracted the more cogent and coherent parts of the shadow show, 
organizing them with the assistance of Fajin's swan song, trying to use his words as primers to highlight relevant portions. So far, what was clearest was that creatures like Nykrist, each from its own respective bolgia, I reasoned, were lining up to crash reality's party, that they would usher in a new darkness, an everlasting great darkness, no less. All this dovetailed with the events at Marrows, the physics of the Nightchrist's ascent, but what seemed distinct from the Son of Eel's case was the presence of Asaya, the fallen Mithra. I still knew next to nothing about the prehistoric creature, just what I'd read from the mine walls under Marrows and what Sugar had given us. And now that there might be a compromise esoteric mixed up in all this, I wasn't sure how much digging I could do out in the open. But I did know that the so-called gold-faced devil, as the underground pictograms called him, was supposed to be dead, killed by what looked like a Heckin deity of some sort. Maybe that was the next step, approach the Heckin for some perspective. <laughs> but there was a fat chance in hell for that happening anytime soon, as my next stop was frigging Antarctica. As I turned things over in my mind, I couldn't help to notice the dreams bumping up against my own. The dreams from the Clover Eaters, the artists of Visser's colony. Pausing a moment to take a quick look, I was floored by their immensity. Visions like a massive storm rolling across the whole of the sleepscape. They appeared to be the collected memories of the Great Darkness. It took all my effort to stop them from crashing through my head, catching me up in the royal of their fury. It was like the Great Darkness was unfolding all over again. If these were only delusions brought on by drug consumption, they were the most compelling I'd ever encountered, and I'd seen far more dreams of the Great Darkness than I could count. Almost as interesting as the range of the dreams was their integration. It was as if the artists were all dreaming the same dream, each one of them contributing one tile to the overall mosaic. Without thinking twice, I took my own dream of the Magic Lantern Show and thrust it into the collective dream of the colonists, allowing the artists' sleeping minds to reinterpret, interact, and react to the imagery. The larger collective dream enfolded my offering, re-engineering it with an eye towards the great darkness. In this case, my dream was re-evaluated, reintegrated as if it were a memory of the darkness, which allowed it to be contextualized, married with similar imagery. Where once there were just shadows cast from a burning man, there were now living, breathing figures. The horrors that skulked and crawled and caterwauled from under the living universe. The carrion kings and queens of a great dead darkness pressed against the basement of the world. Their crooked crowns made from stolen flesh and seething sin and churning filth. They crashed their fist into the rotting wood of the galactic cellar, crowding the few shadows that fell through the cracks, feasting upon it like honey. Above them, in a separate but apparently related part of the massive dream, I saw the fallen Mithra, his golden mask fit over his face, only his eyes visible, blazing points of beautiful light, the fires of heaven. I saw him standing before a great black stretch of rotted earth, an echo of countless screams clawing at the broken sky above his head. And then, the sound of something pushing through the charred and ruined soil and stone. The cry was overpowering, breaking my control over the two dream systems. I could feel the artist's communal vision trying to burrow into my mind, seeking to add my own memories to its collection. 
my memories of the great darkness. I fled deeper inward for shelter. My loss of control opened the gates to my paranoia, my delusions. Madness closed upon the flesh of my mind to devour me. I had to right myself as I fell into my own darkness, land on my feet. But first, I needed some breathing room. My Balik has always been my rudder in stormy waters, and so I freed it into the spaces around me. A symbol of my will refusing bondage, cutting down that which sought to contain me. The invasive dream of the great darkness bled from where I cleaved it, liquescent visions bleeding from punctured nightmares. I threw wide my arms, grasping at the corners of my mind, and in a single strained gesture slammed them together, shutting out the intruder dream. The thing lingered there for a few moments, milling at the threshold, before finally departing for wider ranges, my mind warping slightly within its massive wake. I was deep inside my own mind, where my fears lived with terrifying strength. Immediately recognizing the surroundings, I squeezed the pommel of my Balik, ready for anything. The blood-stained carpet, as before, unfurled before me, leading to the throne made from gore-slicked piles of mattresses and bones and flesh. I was back in the throne room of that creature, the thing that claimed to be my father. Gloomhest. Before I had a chance at consolidating the disparate parts of my mind, bring the dream back under control, I needed to calm down, ground myself. But the voice from the darkness made that practically impossible. And now you know my name. And we are acquainted with one another. At last, father and daughter. He was clearly revealed in the light of my freshest hell. His patchwork body of snakes and spiders and scorpions and wolves and bug-eyed corpses and every other fetish of terror. The living testimony of countless screams. You... you aren't real. You are just the product of my imagination. A nightmare caused by what I saw in the artist's collective dream. Indeed, I am a nightmare, but not yours. My body is a castle of dread, risen by countless hands. My mind, the dusky king, seated upon its bloodied throne. My subjects groveling in worried wonder at the terrible miracles I conjure from their deepest sleep. I'm not dignifying this. I'd just be holding a conversation with myself. And whenever has a daughter not confronted some measure of her father when she looked inward? You are an echo of my flesh. I am always with you. You are a monster, plain and simple. No amount of purple posturing is going to change that fact. And nothing you will ever do can make me think of you as anything else. 
So whether you're real or a dream, you can fuck off into whatever shitty little corner of mind or matter you crawled out of. Strange. You do not love your brother, for I live in him as well. You've seen me there, in his cold eyes, in the number of corpses left in his wake, his hunger for killing. Do you not think that his face haunts the sleep of those who have survived him? After all, like father, like son. And for that matter, do you not harrow the dreams of those who displease you? Have you not used the gifts I've given you to see your will done? To leave your own trail of silenced adversaries? No, my sweet child. You love me, and the gifts I've showered you with. And soon... You will return to me, all of you, and we will rule from blackest dreams. I'm not some little girl you can talk down to. I've already put one self-proclaimed king into the ground, and I've got no problem putting another one down there with him, father or not. The thing stretched out upon the pile of nightmares only smirked at my threat, looking past me as I felt gentle hands upon my shoulder. That's no way to speak to your father, Rosemary. He loves you. He loves all of us so much. No! Get away from me! Get away! She, my mother, moved her hands from my shoulders to my arms, her grip unbreakable. She started pushing me towards the monster who'd made me. Go to him, my dear. Tell him how sorry you are. The towering monstrosity rose from its throne and approached me, arms outstretched. His tread sounded like bombs as he drew closer, the sound of tightened steps growing closer. No! Stay away from me! No! I was awake, sweating through my sheets, and someone was apparently at my door. I'm coming! Oh, Jesus, give me a second, will ya? Naturally, when I finally opened the door, there was no one there. Just an envelope placed on the floor. It was labeled The Strouds. Written in the smartest cursive, the letter read, Come to the city of Three Mile Harbor. Use the car provided you in the parking lot. Go to the Songstress Hotel. Take room 23. We'll be in touch. The Management. And so it begins. Again.
The Sleep-Wake Cycle is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Mark Anzalone and performed by Kelly Bear and Mark Anzalone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld, and sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anzalone. Be sure to check us out at www.maltopia.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. If you want unique art and animations of Maltopia's stories, visit our YouTube page or click on the link in the show notes. If you're a fan and want to help the show grow, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And for more exclusive content such as additional lore, stories, and art, be sure to check out our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Maltopia. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.